weeks ago we started out talking about diving into the Word of God together. And so uh, I know that many of you have, have joined our, our Bible reading plans together. Uh, I think I'm in a group that has about 80-something people, and I get to see your comments. They get checked as you go through it and, and know that we're just enjoying this together. The formation that comes from God's Word and what God is speaking to each of you about is, is really, really neat. And last week as we jumped into Psalm 20, it was a little different than what we prepared, but, but this combination of being in God's Word and recognizing that He's in control and combining that with prayer begins to form in us begins to bring a spiritual formation within our life. And that's really what I'd like to just address you for the next few minutes about is, is spiritual formation. I'm going to ask that you would turn to Matthew chapter 5, and I'm going to read the first 16 verses just because I want you to catch the context of it all. I certainly am not going to get to it all this morning. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down and his disciples came to him saying, came to him and, and he began to teach them saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are those that are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kind of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in that same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father which is in heaven. Father, I now ask that you, with the help of your Holy Spirit, would begin to reveal the truth of your word in a way that each of us can apply in our lives. I ask, Lord Jesus, that you would form in us the spiritual aspect of what you desire to make us into and that you would do that through your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Dr. Robert Frost prayed a petition that has kind of stuck in my consciousness through the years. And he simply as he was praying for his people, said, Lord, help them to build foundations that are strong enough to place the weight you will later put upon them. And I've thought that many times in, in building my life, and as we were singing this morning songs about building a strong foundation, and we, we listened this morning to a, a word of encouragement that, that our God is a mighty God who's working with us and leading us to victory, that Lord, would you help form in us foundations that are strong enough to support the weight that you will put upon our shoulders? And it seems to me as I look at the Sermon on the Mount that that's exactly what the Lord is doing. He's, he's putting foundations in our life. He is forming us. And this sermon immediately follows Jesus' healing ministry. He's been healing people. And, and let me just ask you to do this. I know 
that as we approach next Sunday, and we're going to be having a healing services, and our prayer teams are going to be made up of our pastors. Uh, we, I have a, a board of elders that I'm going to be introducing to you and our deacons. Our prayer team could be pastor, elders, and deacons. And as we prepare ourselves, each of them are taking one day a week. And I'm going to ask you to do the same thing, if you'd be willing. Would you, from the time that the sun comes up to the time that the sun goes down, one day this week, would you fast and pray that the power of God would be displayed through his healing touch and experience? Would you do that one day from the time the sun comes up? And aren't you glad that we're in the shortest days of the year? Just throwing that out there for those of you that are thinking, you can get up early and eat. I'm not yet, just yet. It's going to lose the whole sense of what it's about if I start going any farther. So just, I, I would ask if you would be willing to do that. I would, I would appreciate that. But Jesus had just been involved in this healing ministry and he begins to gather people together and he begins to speak of the Beatitudes and they are attitudes that we are to become. He said, I want you to be called to a character. Oftentimes we we tie the, the pride of the Lord in our life and the way that God can love us to the things that we do. And he says, so much of what I want is, is formed on the inside and lived out. And there's this character nature. And there are some characteristics that are listed for us, and I would like to just quickly highlight them for you. And I, I could preach a message on each of those, and I promise I won't because you looked at your bulletin and you go, he's got eight things he's going to say this morning. I, I promise we're going to be brief. Well, I'm going to try to be brief. The first one of those characteristics that he wants to form in us is to be those who stand in a place of need. To be those people that are standing in a place of need. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now the Greeks had two words that they employed for the word poor. And, and, and one simply stood for the kind of poor that we would classify or categorize. You know, maybe we're familiar with that. of just being broke. I'm temporarily broke. You know, for whatever reason, I don't have enough. And so they've just shut my utilities off. Or I don't have enough for groceries this week. And, you know, it's that stage of, of being temporarily in a position where you can't do much. And so you're kind of embarrassed. A, a check bounced. And, you know, you feel awful. You hate it. It's, it's that kind of poverty was the first type of word that's poor that's being used by the Greeks. But there's another word that he uses. And this is the one he's talking about here. The second kind of poverty is a destitute poverty. It is, it is a poverty that is so powerful that you literally are going to die that day unless somebody gives you something to eat. You're not going to be able to make it through without food or shelter provided for you. You have a total inability of resources. You've got nothing. You can't provide it for yourself. And that's the word the Lord employ, employs here when he's talking about being poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are absolutely destitute in your spirit because you understand that you are totally totally broke with no hope of having anything if it's not for Jesus. And why is he saying that? He's saying that because the poverty of spirit that he's speaking of here is the kind of atmosphere in which in our lives we recognize that there is nothing at our disposal that can ever get you to heaven on your own. There's no goodness that you possess. There's no good works that you can do. You have nothing that you can purchase forgiveness of sins. You have nothing whatsoever that you can give to trade for eternal life. Nothing to give God that will give Him fellowship with you. It's all God's activity in your life. You're so destitute in spirit that you are completely dependent upon Him for your next breath. 
That's what they're talking about here. And he says, when we begin with this poverty of spirit, Jesus says that we enter into a condition of blessedness. And we enter into a condition of being in the kingdom of heaven. In other words, kingdom people recognize life is fragile and we can't do a thing about it. Everything that we've got is in the hands of God. And not only is poverty of spirit to characterize the entrance into the kingdom, it's to characterize our continued growth in kingdom life. That every day of our life we recognize everything I've got comes as a gift from the hand of God. And Jesus modeled this poverty by depending upon the Father and He emptied Himself completely and He says that when we come to that point when we can say, and, and oftentimes this is what we battle, especially in an American culture, when we say, I am rich, I'm increased in goods and I have need of nothing, when we have come to that position, we no longer have poverty of spirit and we begin to depend upon ourselves. He says, first of all, I'd like you to know that a life that is being formed is marked by genuine dependence. I'm in poverty in my spirit without you. The second quality that the Lord wants to develop in us as he formulates himself in us is this. Be sorrowful over the presence of hurt and sin. He said, blessed are those who mourn. Now I need to, to just throw this out here so that you have an understanding of this because we've heard this verse used many times in funerals as people are mourning and I want you to understand it's way deeper than that. We understand that grief is a human emotion and it's natural whether you know Christ or whether you don't. But that's not what the Lord is talking about here when he says, blessed are those who mourn. He's talking about a life in the kingdom and he's linking mourning to the kingdom and saying, this involves me being formed in you to the point where you become sensitive, personally sensitive to the things that bother him. And so it's a spirit that says, Father God, I, I understand as I look at people that when I see them, I see them through your eyes. I am mourning over the condition of humanity because I have an opportunity to see through the ways that you see. And so, Lord, it is in this aspect that I am mourning. Blessed are those who see people through the eyes of Jesus and their needs that they have. For much of the research that I was doing on, on this, the, a person who seemed to demonstrate this so well was Mother Teresa, who took dying children in her arms and she loves them with the love of God or it could be characterized by a parent who's concerned over the waywardness of their child and waits before the Lord that the child might come to them. A person who's on their knees is sensitive to the hurts and needs of other people and identifies with that hurt and grief. And a mourning person has not locked themselves into a place where they are safely isolated from the world, but literally opens themselves up so that they can feel what God feels. He looks around. So when we selfishly pursue our own gratification, we, we move away from identifying with the men of sorrows, the man of tears and a man of compassion. So those who mourn identify with the hurts and needs and identify with the Son of God. And he begins to add to that this third qualification, this third characteristic. He says, I want you to practice the gentle strength of discipline. Blessed are the meek. Now some of you are going, where... Did he get the gentle strength of discipline out of meek? It's interesting. I was having a conversation with my wife this week about some of the discoveries that I was making as I was kind of digging into some of the original language and even some literature that uses the same biblical language in other ways and how it came together. And the word meek, I understand from our perspective, we see meek and, you know, it's kind of an insipid word with terrible press because, it, you know, we think of 
meek, mild-mannered, you know, timid, weak, effeminate, you know, just this person that is kind of the butt of everybody's jokes and just can't stand up for themselves. That has nothing whatsoever to do with the word that is being described here. In the Greek language, meek was used in a number of ways in literature outside of the New Testament, and the way that this word was described is this. It is a word that was used to describe a wild stallion that has been caught and broken so that now all of its power and all of its energies are channeled by the one who leads it. Now that's different than what we've always thought. I like being a wild stallion. I kind of like that thought. And as we think about that in the formation aspect of God, he's saying, listen, I understand that there's a wild nature to all of us. We've been created after our God, who's a victorious, warring God. And he says, that deposit has been made in you. But here's what meekness means. Meekness means that rather than having your energy blown out of all of the walls and you never know how to control yourself, there's a discipline that comes in allowing the Lord to take your strength and lead you in ways where that becomes helpful rather than destructive. He says, blessed are the meek. So the Lord is saying, here's what I want. I want you to be the kind of person that takes all of your strength and all of your goals and all of your ambitions and brings them into submission and moderation and to seek to become a disciplined person, a balanced person, a gentle person, like a gentled stallion. The fourth quality which Jesus wants in us is to hunger and thirst after righteousness. Now, we all recognize that there's different levels of hunger and thirst, and I know that in this service in particular, if I get much past about 12, 15, I start hearing stomachs growl. And, uh, you know, there's these low rumbles, and people, you know, they start moving around. But here's the way the hunger strikes us. It's a hunger because we want a snack because we eat three or four times a day. It's a hunger that, boy, I just need something to get me through the next, next meal. The hunger that is being described here is a characteristic that he wants to form in us is that we would recognize that what I want more than anything in my life is to pursue to be righteous in the eyes of God. That I would be able to look my God in the eyes and know that I've done everything within the strength that He has given me to live right before Him. So many times in our lives, our goals uh, involve things like that are outside of ourselves, like, boy, I want a car or a house or a job or financial investments. But every goal that I seek outside of myself is a losable goal. It's something that can be taken from me. But when I hunger and thirst and pursue after living a life that is righteous after God, that can't be robbed from me because it's something that He forms on the inside of me. And He says, I want you to hunger and thirst for me. These goals place first the inner development, the inward righteousness, and inward standing and integrity. And He asks us to hunger for those things and thirst for them for that which cannot be removed from us. He says, and as you do that, you will experience God and be satisfied. So the question is, is in my inner life marked by a deeper longing to experience God and to have His righteousness dwelling within me than anything else that I hunger for? Which leads us then to a fifth personality goal that Christ wants to form in us. To take on the shame of others. To bless it the merciful. He's telling us that when I am formed in you, as you are reading the word of God on a daily basis, as you're taking what you read and you begin to pray and say, no, Lord, I need you to 
take these words and with the help of your Holy Spirit, bring them to me in a way that I can apply it to my life, that I can become more like you. One of the qualities that you will begin to see bubbling to the top of the surface is that you will be with more merciful. You will look at other people with a heart that is one that says, I want to be able to help others when they find themselves in places of shame. I want the hurting to know that they can find in me a gift. I want to give mercy, and I want to be one that is known as mercy. So the question as we look at this is, do I stand aloof from or do I identify with the shame and the needs of others? Because as Christ is formed in us, he said, blessed are the merciful, those who take on and walk alongside the shame of others. The sixth mark of a disciple is those who welcome cleansing in their inner life. Blessed are the pure in heart. What a difficulty we have struggling with that phrase because often when we hear that phrase, what runs to most people's minds is this. Lord, I have done everything that I can do to get myself straight. Have any of you ever said that to God? Lord, I have worked so hard to try to clean myself up. God, you don't know how hard I've worked. I've tried to change things just so I can come before you. I'm just I'm working so hard on my own to clean everything up so I can be presentable to you. I'm doing all of these things. Because how can I ever see God if I'm not pure in heart? But this beatitude, one of the things I love about it is it, it is beautifully placed. You'll find as you put the beatitudes into operation, one by one in your life, it creates the possibility for the later beatitudes happening and coming alive in you. In other words, there is a progression here that as you look at it, God is building in your life. And it's part of the holiness process, the sanctification, that as you allow him to form the first quality, it qualifies you for the second quality. And then it qualifies you for the next one. So rather than sitting at the outside going, there's no way I can create a pure heart. If you follow these step by step, what the Lord begins to bring into you is an understanding that our pure heart is nothing we can accomplish. It's all through him. And so in this building of your faith and this molding of your nature, if you begin moving into the kingdom by being poor in spirit, recognizing I've got nothing without him, I'm destitute without you. And then you begin to identify with those who are hurt by being a mourner and you move past that into the gentle strength of discipline and then you hunger and thirst after righteousness and then you begin to practice mercy suddenly you will find your life is opening up in the purity of the heart of God because he is cleansing you as he makes you into the person he wants to be and you begin to recognize this is what happens it's a work of God in your life not a work that you are doing on the outside trying to please God because no cleansing is a self act all cleansing comes from God's act toward us. And the Holy Spirit comes and works within us and reminds us when we have failed and helps us through the power of His forgiveness and the blood of Jesus Christ to be cleansed from every sin. I do believe that as we grow in the Lord, one of the things that becomes abundantly apparent to each of us is that I believe we know far more of, of the conviction of the Holy Spirit than we say we do. I believe that in the way that the Lord leads us, that there is an active work when you belong to Him, that when you are about to involve yourself in something that does not please Him, you know it. In fact, I'm convinced that in order for us who are believers to go against what God wants us, we have to jump over the hurdles of His presence. 
we have to shove him to the side because so strong is the conviction of the Holy Spirit that comes to us saying, this is not where I'm leading. This is not what I want you to do. That in order for us to exert our self-will, we have to jump over the hurdles and the obstacles of his grace and say, I'm going to do it my way. But a hunger and a, a desire that welcomes a cleansing of the inner life becomes one that says, I will instantly respond when I feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit that this is not the way that I should do. And I will not seek my own will or my own way or justify my life when it is not in line with the Word of God because I desire a righteous life. Blessed are those who are pure in heart. The Bible says because you will see God. The seventh personality goal that the Lord desires for us is that we might be those who make peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. Now, I want you to understand that loving peace and making peace are two different things. There are a lot of people who say they love peace, and so they simply do not address anything that would cause conflict. And in doing that, live their lives in a way that peace is never made, but there's allowances given and justifications are given. That's not what Jesus is calling us to. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, those who are actively involved in and the first mission that Jesus demonstrates to us is this, and this is going to help clarify for some of you what that means. His first mission was to bring peace between the hostility that we had created toward God. So the whole life of Jesus lived on earth was to be done in such a way that you and I would have a hope that we could spend eternity in heaven because Jesus became the way by which the cross uh, made available to us that we had a bridge to cross from where we were to where God is. So one of the first functions, therefore, we have as peacemakers is this. It is to be a witness to others who do not know him that we might be a bridge to the gap between the hostility of God through their sin and the love of God through Jesus Christ. So when he says to us, if I'm going to be formed in you, what you need to know is that to be a peacemaker, you need to be a witnesser. You need to be one that actively seeks to help people make peace with God. And the eighth quality trait that Jesus wants in our lives is that we might learn to bear the cross. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. I, I could have done well if he'd only left it at seven. I didn't need this one. There's several things that when I see the Lord face to face, I'm going to say, hey, I have a few suggestions for how you could have made your word a little better. You didn't have to put this part in there. And he says, oh, but I did. Because I need you to recognize that the Beatitudes will form a character in you that's dynamic. And we've often looked at this in the wrong way and thought, boy, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna live these Beatitudes, then I'm gonna become this person that has no strength and nobody looks up to it. And, and it's exactly the opposite. He said, Listen, as I form these qualities in you step by step by step, what's going to happen to your life is that you will become so dynamic that those who are hostile to God will be threatened by the person that you are simply by your existence and presence. So powerful will the presence of the Lord be in you that those that don't like God, don't love God, and are hostile against God will have nothing to do with you because you bring conviction into their life. And he said the inevitable consequences of that is letting your values being shaped by Him rather than shaped by the world is there will be people that will not appreciate your profession of faith nor the development of your character, nor will not accept the way that you are. 
It could be in school. It could be on the job. But non-Christians will mock your values. Are we not seeing that lived out before us today? He said, you will be persecuted for righteousness sake because you are putting into operation the life and the character of Jesus and you're letting him form that within you. And so persecution in our in our culture today here in America is different than in other cultures. In fact, persecution in our culture is kind of like the persecution that the apostles experienced in Acts 17 when they were in Athens. And the people in Athens were way too sophisticated to pick up stones and throw them at somebody or hit them with sticks. No, the people in Athens were the kind that would stand back off to the side and understand that you have a competing philosophy. And so what they would do is he said they would just sneer at you. They would belittle you. They would laugh at you. They would try to, to demean you and, and who you are and what you believe in. And, and I thought that probably is a pretty accurate description. Now, it may all change in America when it's come. Our persecution may take on a vastly different look. But for the most part now, and the thing interesting enough that we worry about most is, well, what are people going to think of me? The Lord says, as I'm formed in you, they're, gonna, they're not going to like you. But some of you will experience those that have persecuted you and laughed at you and belittled you. You will be the first person they run to when they have nowhere else to go. So powerful and dynamic is what Christ is forming in you. And they'll call you on the phone and they'll be in tears and they'll say, I didn't know who else to call and so I'm calling you and they'll say, why? There's always been something about you I admire. I find those that persecute you the most are those oftentimes that have a deep admiration for the fact that you carry yourself with a character that they've not been able to because they don't know Jesus. And God uses you. And so he says, if you begin to let me formulate all these things in your life, what's going to happen? He says, you will be blessed. Blessed means two different things. It, it can mean that we are in a state of being approved of or accepted by God. When God blesses us, it means that God is approving us. Now, a couple of weeks ago when we were launching into reading the Bible together, we, we talked about there's going to be different things that you're going to be confronted with that you're going to have to, how am I going to respond to this? And one of the things we talked about is how will I respond to the approval of God? How will I respond when I have the Lord just smiling at me? I, My wife and I were watching a, a little video of our uh, grandson who was putting together blocks that we'd given him and and his mother was filming him, and he, as he got one on the top, she goes, oh, good job, give me a high five, and he high fives her, and then he has this little giggle of just, I'm, I'm approved, they did it right. I've probably watched it a hundred times. And I started thinking about that this morning. I wonder how many times that when we do something right, as God is being formed in us, if God just doesn't giggle with us, going, yes, high five, buddy. And there's this spiritual high five and we, we get the joy of knowing I've been approved. God approves of me. We have this image that he just really doesn't like people and that he only accepts you out of a grudging heart. Oh, I can barely stand a little bit. He's approving of us. And he says, blessed are those who let me form my character in them that I approve of you. And the second thing he says about blessing is that it produces a response of wellness within us. And that wellness is lived out in what we would describe as joy. He approves of us, and what it produces in me is joy. And what does joy produce? The joy of the Lord is our strength. Do you see an energizing cycle that begins to take place here? As I form these characteristics in me, 
you will be blessed. My approval is on you. And as my approval is upon you, your heart is filled with the pleasure of joy. The joy produces strength so that the cycle continues as Christ is formed in you. I'm going to ask our two boys to sing this morning. I'm going to ask that you would stand with me this morning. I really believe that this passage of Scripture becomes lines of a blueprint for us. These are essential for our development, and the Lord wants to take these and, and help form them within our hearts. And the interesting thing about this, let me just add this last piece in. So many of you have been, have been worried about, man, I've got to live my life in such a way that somehow my life is a testimony, that I can become salt and light. And, and, and Jesus is, is wanting, in the way that this was all worded, and the way this, this was ordered for your life, he says, listen, as I form you, each of these qualities, what's going to happen is that the chemical reaction of the Spirit lived in the life of a righteous person who's pursuing righteousness produces the preservative of salt to the world and produces light. It's not something you create. It's naturally produced. This is the work of God in us. And it takes the pressure off of us of working so hard to try to be something. It's not, no, 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 no. It's my work within you. And as I activate these things, your life begins to glow. People see the, the light of the Spirit within you. They, they begin to recognize that there's something preserving about you, that when you get near them, that, that there's something as you speak life into them. Even when they persecute you, you speak life into them, and they don't understand it. But it's the production of what God does as He forms in you. These characteristics that are So I'm going to ask you to keep your eyes wide open this morning. How many of you need these characteristics refined? You're just ready. I, I want to enter into this year, Lord, and I just I want the characteristics of Jesus to be formed in me through the word, through prayer, through fasting. I just want them formed in me. Heavenly Father, there were so many hands that were raised this morning that I understand that there's a spiritual hunger that is alive and well among the people. And if there's anybody here today that does not know you as their Savior, I ask that in their heart and with their own mind and with their own lips, they would simply say to you right now, Jesus, would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sins? Would you turn me into a brand new creature, changing my old nature so that I could be like those that were baptized today? burying my old man, being raised in the new resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Would you do that in me today, Lord? And I pray that as they say that instantaneously, that that will become a spiritual transformation in their life. And that they can begin a journey. And then, Lord, really, this word is for the church today. Those of us who have known you and have just needed a reminder that you want to take the incredible strength and spirit you placed within us and you want it to to be disciplined and bring us to a place of being gentle before you. That all of our gifts and talents and abilities, as we yield them before you, you form in us a heart and eyes that are like Jesus, and we see our world differently, and we see people differently. And that we hunger and thirst for righteousness. 